0: This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. In a news conference yesterday afternoon, Governor David Ige announced a supplemental emergency proclamation, which includes a plan to quickly address the expected unemployment claims as companies begin shutting down and reducing hours during this COVID-19 crisis. The Labor Department will try and expedite checks to those who apply for help. Director Scott Murakami laid out the strategy.
1: Starting from March 1st, of this year, we saw a consistent increase in uh, unemployment claims in our offices and online. So we're looking at March 1st as the inflection point of, of uh, the change in the trend of unemployment claims. And
0: how much has it gone up?
1: Between February 23rd and the week that started on March 1st, those two weeks, there was a 19.92% increase week over week. That's a pretty huge jump. It's a pretty significant jump. Uh, another statistic that people may be interested in is that when we look at the day-to-day comparisons, um, on the, average daily, uh, the average increase in daily claims went up by 26.8%. But I have to be sure that, um, just to be clear, on this, these are just, just the new claims, so they're new filings. And we cannot at this point distinguish whether or not they're part-time or full-time claims. So it could be a reduction in hours that's leading to a part-time claim. They could be full-time claims. At this point, we don't know.
0: So you'll have to dig down uh, deeper to understand what are we seeing.
1: Precisely. And that's why even on our website, we've got some different numbers to this, but this is just specifically the new claims that we're looking at because that's what we're, we're looking more for, the economic impact. And when we're seeing a shift in, what's happening with unemployment market so we were using uh, just the new claims at this point
0: so our unemployment
1: has been historically low i think we were the third lowest at this point i think it was the third lowest yes
0: what what does this mean going forward
1: we do know that given the macro factors that we're looking at and of course you know given the situation with covid-19 that we are anticipating further claims to increase so What we were doing was we put together probably about, I want to say a couple weeks ago now, we started doing some very close monitoring on what's going on with the economy. And so we put together some projections on whether or not uh, we had the right manpower to administer our funds, as well as the right amount of funds available to pay out to claimants. And that way we could be sure that... You know, as Hawaii's first line of defense, we had the capability of administering um, benefits to our claimants as quickly as possible.
0: So walk us back a bit, because when was the last time we had a situation like this?
1: So the last one was, um, I believe, the Great Recession. That's the last real economic downturn that we had to address. Um, I will tell you that in our projections, what we did was we based our projections off of what happened following September 11th of 2001. The reason we picked that over the more current events or other events that were associated with actual any type of pandemic type of situation, uh, such as SARS or avian flu, the reason we picked 9-11 was that the business trigger was the same, right? It was the uh, more immediate impact of the reduction in flights. So that seemed to be the best proxy for us. So we used that as our basis for doing projections on whether or not we had the adequate funds for it. But the last time we actually went through it was the Great Recession.
0: Did we have to extend the benefits?
1: We did. During 2008 and 9, I believe, during the Great Recession, we did do an extension of benefit.
0: What's the period? that? Did- we cover right now?
1: Right now it's a 26 week period. The feds are looking at how they would extend the program and certainly we would follow that.
0: Unemployment has been low and it has been difficult I think for so many government agencies to recruit staff so if you need more people you need to ramp up in order to have enough you know clerks to process these claims. I and mean, that's going to be challenging, isn't it?
2: it? It
1: is. And, you know, part of it is that unemployment. the trick with unemployment, it's, it's counter-cyclical, right? So when the economy is doing well, typically our unemployment rate is low, so our uh, administrative fund goes down. And certainly with a 2.6%, 2.7% unemployment rate, everybody who wants a job has a job. So uh, what we're looking at, though, is um, not just for ourselves, but, you know, Hawaii's economy has... Some counter, uh, I should say, re- recession-proof types of economies. So when we did our analysis in to- of 2001, we did notice industries like healthcare didn't didn't experience a loss of jobs. They actually saw an increase of jobs. So, and given the nature of COVID-19, it's pretty you know evident that healthcare is going to be an area that we need more help in. So the trick for us as a state is if we can efficiently transfer those workers over right if we can create an efficient way of exchanging labor and that same model would apply for us if we can efficiently transfer people over from jobs where we're anticipating loss in that would be the best line of defense for us to stabilize the economy so our for us yes it would be challenging to recruit people but certainly in a market where we're starting to see downtrends and you know um, any type of way in which we could offer uh, employment to people is certainly what we would like to be able to do
0: Your department has been regarded because you have that special rapid response team that goes out whenever there's a, a, a mass shutdown you know whether it's an Aloha Airlines or you know some large company like that you can move quickly. so this though this might be a prolonged thing
1: yeah you know everything every program has its limitations. so what we're looking at is our way of addressing that has been to look at all of our programs that we have, not just the rapid response program because the rapid response program that you're speaking of is um, funded through the workforce innovation and opportunity act but we also have other tools in our toolkit um our employment training fund is an example of that our apprenticeship programs are things that uh, ensure people have employment while they get their training right so the trick for us is could we creatively and efficiently create a using all of these tools create a labor exchange that can move people from one industry to the next. And that's really what we think is going to be some of the ways in which we could damper any kind of economic slide. I do want to let you know that you know we're all in it together and well, our department has been in very close contact with Senator Schatz's office, as well as contact with Senator Hirono's office and our congressional members. I um, will tell you that query, inquiry from Senator Schatz's office uh, about what Im- what are the implications of COVID-19. So we did give them some guidance about the impact that we would have and the need for a disaster unemployment assistance so you know we are in regular contact with them my one of our Staff and myself uh, started doing regular visits to uh, Washington, D.C. starting last year. And the whole idea behind that was that, you know, 60% of our funding over the entire department comes from the federal government in a variety of sources. So we wanted to make sure they knew that their investments were being taken care of. We wanted to make sure they were very clear on any concerns we had within the state regarding federal funding. So we have a good relationship with them. And in this case, it helped us out quite a bit because we were able to communicate very quickly with them um, when they inquired as to what our needs are so that they could take the appropriate actions to help us out. And not just us, but all of the state.
0: So is there anything that we need to look at island by island, you know, because each county might see different hiccups?
1: Yeah, you're right. More so, each county is going to react differently for a number of reasons. They're all different economic systems, right? They have nuances to themselves that we've always been cognizant of. That's why you know, I would fly out once a month to every every one of our branch offices, because the economics that drive that county are different. We are watching um, arrivals from domestic carriers into the state as our leading indicator, and we do watch it county by county, and we have gotten some inquiries from other counties regarding our our programs there and how we can help them. The nice thing about our department moving into this period is that we've made some solid investments into technology and infrastructure that would help our claimants out, So we have the ability for people to do online filing of claims. They don't have to come into our office or they don't have to visit their local county unemployment insurance office, which is very good for them, right? Because, you know, given the nature of COVID-19, if you need to, if you need to file, you can file from the comfort of your home or anywhere you have an internet connection. You know, so we fortunately have those tools at our disposal and it will help to, you know, more timely process the claims for claimants.
0: Is there uh, any advice you can give folks who are applying? Are there uh, busier times or slower times? You know, like, don't do it like Monday morning, you might crash the system.
1: You know, typically when the economy was, uh, well, it's really changing every day. But prior to March 1st, Mondays were always busy days for us. That was the typical day that we saw an influx of people coming in online. Um, I would imagine that it's going to change very quickly and that we'll see a steady stream of people coming in. Um, what I would like to share with people is that, you know, we've got some wonderful people who work in our department. They're very committed to helping the community out. They're very committed to making sure that every member every claimant who comes in and a member of our community gets the maximum benefit that they're entitled to. But it's an individual process, and it's an individual you know, financial evaluation. So the claims at times do take time. And I will tell you that what we learned from last time was, you know, um, it, it's a tough situation for somebody who's unemployed. It's it's hard on themselves and their families. And we understand that. They certainly have our compassion and our understanding. Um, but I just ask that they be patient with our employees because they are doing their best. Again, because the economy is so good and, and COVID-19 hit us kind of out of the blue as a global economy certainly we're going to have to ramp up employment people and whatnot and we're doing we're addressing that we started addressing that i should say about like i said three weeks ago so we are trying to maintain our lead in addressing the economic slide but i just ask that people be patient and understand that we're trying to get every claimant that comes into our doors the maximum benefit that they deserve and to just keep that in their minds and in their hearts when they're interacting with our staff
0: right we're all in it together
1: we are all in it together and we are doing our very best to implement things that you know help to stabilize the economy and keep everyone safe and get them the the benefits that the full benefit that they're entitled to um, I can tell you that we are setting up our facilities to deal with a pandemic situation in our office now so that we have the necessary resources online you know to deal with things like hearings that we have to do we're, those hearings can be now done. They can be done remotely if that's what they choose, and a lot of people have been opting for that. And so we're fortunate because uh, we have the technology capabilities, at least in most of our locations, to do that.
0: When will you have a breakdown, you know, like if you know what industry?
1: I would have to check okay. because right now we've just been checking the aggregate numbers. Right. I would imagine that in about a week we probably start looking into the nuances of all of the individual economies and trying to find ways in which we can infuse um, or stabilize employment as much as possible.
0: That was Scott Murakami, the director of the State Labor Department, talking about dealing with the expected onslaught of jobless claims in the weeks to come. You And as the coronavirus story continues to develop here in Hawaii and around the world, we're adding a new element to our daily program here on The Conversation. It's a roundup from the BBC focusing on the latest developments around COVID-19.
3: This is the Coronavirus Global Update on the 17th of March. I'm Jeanette Jalil. Millions of people are coping with restrictions on their movement to try to curb the outbreak. There's been a surge of deaths in Spain and the European and South American football championships have been postponed. We begin this podcast with some good news. It's two months to the day since our Beijing correspondent Steve McDonnell first reported about the new coronavirus. And today, after draconian quarantine measures, China has reported just one new dementia. Domestic coronavirus infection.
4: More than 80,000 infections a couple of weeks ago. That's dropped down now to less than 10,000 active infections. Today, according to official figures, China added only one homegrown extra infection in the whole country. That was in Wuhan. The others, the other sort of 20 or so extra infections, have come in the form of of people travelling in
3: from overseas. But many other countries are struggling to contain the outbreak. More American cities are closing down as a number of deaths in the US continues to rise. Donald Trump has called on people not to gather in groups of more than 10, to avoid bars and restaurants and to make only essential journeys. But the President and his administration have faced further criticism for calling the disease the Chinese virus. Here's our North America correspondent, David Willis. Facing mounting losses because of the coronavirus, America's airline industry is asking the Trump administration for a $60 billion bailout. The president is sympathetic, but a supportive tweet prompted criticism for other reasons. The United States will be powerfully supporting those industries, like airlines and others, that are particularly affected by the Chinese virus, the president wrote. Groups such as the World Health Organisation have traditionally avoided attaching geographic or ethnic titles to diseases. Sri Lanka has announced that it's banning international passenger flights to the island for the next two weeks, amid growing concerns about the spread of the coronavirus in South Asia. In India, the Taj Mahal has been closed, as have some schools, gyms and clubs. Rajini Vijayanathan reports from Delhi.
1: The number of reported cases of coronavirus in India is relatively low, given that the population is around 1.3 billion. There's concern the actual figure is far higher due to a lack of testing in the country. Officials say most of the cases so far have come from foreign travellers who've been to an affected country. But experts are concerned that cases are spreading within communities undetected.
3: Spain has reported a big jump in the number of coronavirus deaths, bringing the total to nearly 500. The number of infections there has also risen sharply to more than 11,000. Iran has announced another 135 deaths. And Tehran also says 85,000 prisoners are being temporarily released. The French are getting used to tough new restrictions with non-essential travel abroad banned for 30 days. Anyone leaving home in France without printing out a government form to say why they're outside will face a fine of up to $150. From Paris, here's Hugh Schofield.
4: There are five boxes you
3: can tick five categories of movement which are allowed for work for health for imperative family reasons to go shopping or for a brief excursion just to go jogging or to walk the dog these are the five categories of movement which are allowed and in theory you're supposed to have a copy of this every time you go out though as most people don't have printers in their homes i think a lot of people are going to have to hand write it out Some pop stars have been criticising their young fans. Billie Eilish, Taylor Swift and Ariana Grande have all written on social media expressing concern that some people are still going out to clubs and parties. Swift said this is a time to cancel plans, while Grande said the we will be fine because we are young mindset is putting people who aren't young or healthy in a lot of danger. The Euro 2020 football championships have been postponed by a year. The South American football championship, the Copa America tournament, has also been delayed until next year. Sports reporter Nigel Adley says the European decision was almost inevitable.
4: This European championships to mark the 60th anniversary of UEFA is due to be held across 12 major cities in Europe, not just one country. So it's a huge logistical exercise Um, So many people are stakeholders in it, but it really became inevitable that uh, it would have to be moved because simply the number of teams who have qualified for the tournament is still not known. There were due to be playoff games uh, played at the end of this month. Of course, all football has been postponed for the foreseeable future. So for that reason alone, it had to be moved.
3: And that's it for now from this Coronavirus Global Update with me, Janette Jalil.
0: is the conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz. <laughs> In today's Backyard Quiz, we take a look at a native Hawaiian athlete well known for his antics both on and off the field. Henry Owana Jr. was born in 1910 to a native Hawaiian father and a Portuguese mother. He went on to attend St. Louis School where he excelled as a five-sport star. Of all these sports, however, it was baseball where Owana displayed the greatest talent. A gifted slugger with a cannon for an arm, Owana joined up with an independent team on an exhibition tour of Japan in 1928. During one outing, O'Wana caught the eye of baseball legend Ty Cobb, who was thoroughly impressed with the man's style of play. At Cobb's urging, O'Wana tried out for the San Francisco Seals baseball club, eventually making the team as an outfielder. When O'Wana u- ultimately signed on with the Seals, much attention was drawn to his Hawaiian heritage. The club's owner advertised Owana as a Hawaiian prince and claimed that he was descended from an ancient line of chiefly royalty. While the claims themselves were wholly untrue, the nickname Prince struck. To friends, fans, and rival ballplayers, Prince Oana was a feared home run hitter and a skilled fielder whose throwing ability was virtually unrivaled. While his heritage proved a selling point initially, it later cost him due to the league's strict color barrier at the time. While Prince Owana's professional baseball career was brief, he spent various stints in and out of the minor leagues well into the early 50s. For today's Backyard Quiz, our question is, can you tell us the hometown of this storied Hawaiian slugger? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right.
4: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawai'i's people and places. Locations, welcome home.
0: Civil Beat brings us our reality check with coverage about hitting the pause button for this legislative session. Reporter Blaze Lovell joins us this morning. Hi there.
2: M- morning, Catherine.
0: So, oh, I would have loved to have been to that news conference yesterday. It's so interesting.
2: It was, and it feels like not so long ago, you know, we were talking about, or lawmakers were talking about things like raising the minimum wage, uh, expanding preschool. They really unrolled that package at the beginning of January, and since then, you know, we've kind of just hit this wall in the legislature where everything is really up in the air. And, you know, even after this news conference where reporters got to ask, questions of lawmakers a lot of things are really still uncertain and the most uncertain thing is when and if the legislature will convene they haven't given anybody a a real indication of when that could be
0: and you know things are moving so fast with this because you know we heard you know limiting groups of 100 then it went down to 50 and then when i heard 10 i put the calls out saying hey what does this mean for our legislative process
2: right and that's actually something that the lawmakers were considering. And, you you know, you mentioned those numbers, 50 down to 10. The the resolution that suspended the session, they said, you know, 50. But I think that morning, you know, President Trump was on TV saying that it should be, you know, even um, less than that. And the lawmakers, you know, at the press conference yesterday, Senate President Ron Kochi said that they did think, Of other alternatives rather than suspending the session Um, one example that he gave out was trying to compress the session calendar so session typically ends uh, around the first week of May Um, he suggested that possibly they end sometime around mid-April but that would have meant speeding up a lot of hearings and it could have meant reducing the access that the public actually has to the legislature which is something that other states have done but he said ultimately that didn't seem Um, something that was workable.
0: Yeah, I mean, the question is, how do we strike a balance here between public safety and then transparency and the political process?
2: Exactly. Um, That's a good point. And, you know, another thing we wanted to point out, and I did ask this because a, a lot of people have brought this point up before. It's about teleconferencing. You know, other state legislatures allow folks to you know submit remote testimony. You can either go to a location that's separate from the legislative building. We haven't been able to do do that yet. I know there was a pilot program for a short time a few years ago and, you know, Alelo and Capital TV have worked on trying to get more hearings online, but it's one of the things they also considered was figuring out how to work remotely. But Um, the Senate president said that they're still waiting on an opinion from the attorney general to see if that's something that they could legally do. That's what they're really unsure about yet. And they're also not sure if they even have the technology to meet remotely or have people uh, either tune in or submit, um, you know, live testimony remotely.
0: And uh, I haven't checked, but I don't know if you know about the other States uh, I think it's what Georgia and Pennsylvania that have um, suspended their sessions you know how that all works if if they run the same time as ours
2: right there's a few legislatures in session now and like you said a lot of a few of them have suspended them there's one other and I can't remember the which state but they've been limiting um, public access to their buildings so only either lawmakers or um, legislative staffers are allowed in and just to piggyback off that point, the Capitol will still be open, so the lawmakers are all going to work. They're all be in their offices, and you know they're encouraging people to call them if they have any concerns or want to talk about legislation. And their offices are also still staffed. You know they have all their committee staff, they have all their clerks, all their regular office staff. The you know work on things during this recess, and uh, as Uh, House Speaker Scott Psyche pointed out, they all are getting paid. So uh, the public should really be encouraged to still keep in contact with them during this recess.
0: And talk about the video conferencing, because I know, you know, they have tried to use that and use the technology to help out the folks on the neighbor islands, you know, who can't fly to Honolulu and provide testimony in person. Um, But that isn't really widely used, if I recall right.
2: I haven't actually seen it used at all. The session, and I know that lawmakers in the past have actually flown to other islands to conduct hearings, so that people could show up and um, you know and submit testimony. But uh, what um, before the recess went into place, the Senate had put in new rules asking the public to actually stay away from the Capitol if they could, and instead. Um, Even though they don't have the ability to, you know, have remote testimony, they're still asking people to submit um, written comments via email.
0: Yeah, and I know that they've had uh, various events planned, you know, the the art tour, uh, the public art that's in the the lawmakers' uh, offices. I believe they suspended that uh, just because of the concern about the virus.
2: Exactly. Just like everything around the state, you know, all those all those concerts and all those events. And interesting enough, yesterday at the news conference, um, some of those legislative leaders were, you know, calling on the governor to increase um, certain screenings at airports, like taking folks um, temperatures And a common thread we heard yesterday from all the government officials was just please stay home if you don't have to. However, none of them went as far as to say, hey, restaurants, hey, bars, hey, movies, let's let's shut that down. No one has said that yet. And, you know, others, uh, other cities around the country have have been doing that. But it doesn't sound like the state's just there quite yet.
0: All right. Okay. thanks so much, Blaze. Thank you. That was reporter Blaze Lovell with today's reality check. Uh, to read his story about the legislative session on pause, head to civilbeat.org.
4: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Inkenen Executive Search. Since 1992, helping Hawaii organizations find leaders from across the nation and around the world. I-N-K-I-N-E-N
0: Two contenders, one nomination.
1: We are capable of
4: making sweeping change if we have the courage to do it. With your
1: help, we're creating a movement here, a movement powered by the backbone, the backbone of the Democratic Party.
0: Will the results from four more states give one candidate a distinct advantage? I'm Susan Davis. Join us for live special coverage of the Democratic primaries from NPR News.
4: Starting this afternoon at 2.00. Support for the conversation comes from Matson, specializing in Pacific Ocean shipping, celebrating four new ships designed and built for its Hawaii service and supporting HPR1's news coverage from around the world. matson.com.
0: David Pedergone is the administrator of the state's only veterans' home. It's located in Hilo, and it's putting out the call for military memorabilia to help pay homage to its residents.
5: Yukio Kutsu State Veterans' Home, it's the only state veterans' home in Hawaii. We provide services for 95, up to 95 uh, veterans and their spouses, potentially their spouses there in Hilo. Yukio Kutsu, Medal of Honor awardee for his uh, brave service with the 442nd uh, Infantry a regiment that uh, fielded several Hawaiian members and uh, they did their service in uh, Italy. And for him specifically, he he a brave uh, gentleman who uh, took out several gun positions and uh, ultimately was awarded, while still living, by the president at the time, President Clinton. And so his family uh, still very warm. He's since passed, but he's still very. Uh, we still have a good, warm relationship with the family. They come and they have their uh, family reunions there at the facility.
0: And so, how many residents do we have there?
5: Uh, right now, it fluctuates from uh, from day to day, but uh, we're at about 90. Uh, veterans that we provide services for on a 24-7.
0: And they are among our most fragile in our community. And, uh, you know, I I know in this day and age with the concern about COVID-19, you know, everybody's going through these uh, unusual protocols.
5: Sure. As a skilled nursing facility, we are uh, following the guidelines of the CDC and the health department and being very vigilant about uh, uh, doing what basically everyone else is is doing is is limiting access to our Kapuna due to the fact that they're at most risk. It seems it's it's the most uh, virulent and uh, sort of difficult for them to to handle once they receive that. So fortunately, we have no cases, and and everyone on the Big Island right now, all of the skilled nursing facilities are same uh, are providing the same protocol and. And being very aggressive and and uh, and trying to keep that bug out.
0: Right, and you're here because you're trying to get the word out that um, you want to pay homage to uh, the veterans and their service, and and you need some help from the public.
5: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate uh, this opportunity to to talk about it a little bit. Uh, uh, the facility's been there about 12 years, but our, our goal, and we've, we have some memorabilia, but we'd like to continue to, to grow that, that uh, collection of memorabilia that we have, whether it be awards or pictures or different things, we'd like to continue to um, showcase that and honor our veterans and their stories by putting those together in frames and, and different things and, and placing them on in the walls and, and amongst the the veterans who are, are living there now, sort of as a way to, uh, when our doors open again, uh, to be able to... To accept visitors and and things that we can show off the the the, the great service that our veterans have, have done for us.
0: And you do have some items now. You have we do a flag. Talk yes. about that.
5: Well, uh, the flag was um, donated. It was uh, uh, something special. It had been uh, in the twenties that had been had flown for the Marines, and had been sitting in someone's garage. And and we found that. Uh, that this um, this flag uh, was just uh, sort of sitting away and in, in the memories that uh, that it could bring and the the story that it could tell would be much better if it was framed and, and put up on our walls. so we've put that up there and some different uh, uniforms and things that are coming in we're, uh, we're preparing to showcase in the rooms
0: is there anything in particular that you're putting a call out for or uh, you know?
5: yeah pictures and and associated with those pictures if there's any sort of stories that we can that we can bring out we're putting some shadow boxes together and some different things that we can that uh, again really showcase the stories of the veterans that that served in in Hawaii the the neat thing about it is is it's really piqued folks interest because we've done a sort of a soft uh, bit on this we've uh, got in the newspaper and we've we've put some calls out to the different uh, service organizations organizations and just the phone calls that we're getting, yeah, it was, you know, I didn't know what to do with this, it was sitting here and it was my grandpa's stuff and, and uh, really got me thinking about all the things that they did and start to, with their families now, sort of revisiting all of the uh, the stories and, and sort of remembering. Uh, and, this, and that's really the intent is that is that if we can get uh, more people thinking about uh, what the veterans uh, have done and, and really, again, escalate those forgotten stories and, and bring them sort of to life again.
0: Does it have to have a tie to Hilo or a particular branch? Not service? necessarily.
5: Um, again, we uh, we recognize all uh, five uh, the branches, and and we uh, you know ho- uh, it's it's helpful if if Hawaii, but if if you served in Hawaii, that you know that. But but we really we want to respect all veterans, and so if there's if uh, you know you're in Hawaii now, that's a good enough connection for us. And if you have something that you'd like to share about your veteran family member or uh, or someone that you know, then uh, it really uh, We're we'll, we'll, uh, v- very interested in, in taking a look at it and seeing how we can make it fit into our facility.
0: Right, because if you're a relative, let's say, served in Italy or Normandy or right. France.
5: No, I mean, those are still cherished and important uh, uh, parts of our history that, uh, that we'd like to know about. Well,
0: what got you connected with the Vet Center? Do you have military history?
5: Sure. Well, I'm a veteran myself. Um, it's been a while since I ran a couple of miles, but uh, <laughs> we're uh, no. I was I was in the army, and and uh, but I've been um, assisting uh, seniors in uh, nursing homes in this way for about 20 years, and um, only in the past uh, five six years have I been working with uh, the veterans, and uh, it's just been a real uh, blessing for us to be able to. Sort of it's a way to give back and to serve uh, those, uh, those folks that served us. And so um, I, I guess going to school, I couldn't see myself um, selling cars or, or cell phones or different things. Just it's a way to pay back, and it's been, it's been great for, uh, for me and my family.
0: Yeah, because you're proud of your service and your sure. family service, and then you want to kind of keep the, keep the story going.
5: That's right. That's right. This is going to be an ongoing for some time and also due to the fact that uh, we've got some some different things happening with our ability to have visitors and things. So we're really opening it up, sort of initiating this and we're looking this project may go for six months to a year as we gather these things and get them framed and put on, on the walls. Also, there is uh, potential for us as we begin gathering these things, there will be another veterans home that the state is planning in, uh, in Kapolei. Uh, over the next uh, couple of years. And so as we have these things, we may have enough to be able to assist them as they open up their doors as well.
0: Okay. And then uh, uh, can you share with us, like, uh, of the residents that you have, like, uh, are they from any one particular branch of the service? Or? Uh,
5: no, we have a, we do have a mix. Um, but as far as uh, the generations, we've lost all of our World War II veterans. And so uh, right now we're, as we service, uh, Korean War veterans and uh, Vietnam veterans, uh, we don't have any of the younger folks we provide mostly for our seniors, but uh, we're starting to see those needs in- increase after World War II Korean War there were a lot of these service organizations that were very popular and most folks were engaged veterans of foreign wars and, and uh, different uh, groups but uh, the attendance and different things as the, as the new younger generation have come on they're not as well attended and so we're seeing you know different ways how we can how we can connect and I think this provides uh, that opportunity for for veterans to gather in a different way.
0: That was David Pettijohn, administrator of the Yukio Okutsu Veterans Center and Home in Hilo. For links on how to contribute, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org.
4: report for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting the exhibition, Then and Now, at the Honolulu Museum of Art School, with works by 50 local artists, through March 27th. HonoluluMuseum.org
6: Twelve years ago, Barack Obama gave a speech on race that helped propel him to the presidency. I'm
4: the son of a black man from Kenya and a white woman from Kansas.
6: But would that
0: speech have the same effect today? The problem is that it views America as static, but actually, in a lot of ways, racism is the thing that has endured. Tomorrow on Morning Edition from NPR News.
3: Starting at 5 a.m. here on HPR 1.
0: In today's Backyard Quiz, we take a look at the interesting life of one of Hawaii's forgotten baseball greats, Prince Owana. Born Henry Owana Jr., Prince adopted his famous nickname during a stint with the San Francisco Seals when the club's owner claimed that the imposing slugger was the product of a royal Hawaiian lineage. While the claim was bogus, the name helped establish Owana during his early career in professional baseball. Following a three year stint in the minor leagues, Owana became the fourth Hawaiian player to play ball in the major league first for the Philadelphia Phillies, and finally for the Detroit Tigers. While Awana boasted impressive stats during his time in the majors, he ultimately fell victim to racial discrimination, and his employment was only reinstated during a player shortage during World War II. In 1945, Owana was a member of the Detroit Tigers World Series winning team, although this would be his final year in the majors. He transitioned back to the minor league shortly thereafter and, sp- and spent various seasons as both a player and a manager. Off the field, Owana had a reputation as a swaggering playboy whose many marriages and affairs often detracted from his own play on the field, one former manager even noted that if Owana had been far less better looking, he might have even enjoyed a longer career in the majors. After his retirement, Owana lived out the rest of his days in Austin, Texas far away from his hometown of Waipahu. And our winner today, Ed Fraser of Pahoa, you got it right. That's today's quiz. If you have one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. This week, we've been checking in with Hawaii athletes set to compete on the global stage in this year's Olympic contest in Japan later this year. For the summer games, a number of new sports have been added to the slate. Surfing, which we told you about yesterday, is one. Skateboarding is another. There are two skaters on the U.S. team with ties to Hawaii. Jordan Barrett grew up in Haleiwa. She attended Sunset Elementary and Wailua Middle School, and Hemana Reynolds was born and raised right here on Oahu. Both are competing to qualify to represent America. Reynolds is number one in the rankings for what's called the park event so far. We caught up with his dad, Matt, at a skate park camp that he runs at the Four Seasons Hotel at Ko'olina here on Oahu.
7: I'm very proud my son has made the USA national skateboarding team just about five months ago. And, yeah, I couldn't be more proud to make it to that level of skateboarding. And and we're very proud because this is the first year that skateboarding will be in the Olympics.
0: Right, and he was born and raised here on the North Shore?
7: Yes, he was born and raised here on the North Shore. And then we, uh, we moved to town when he was about, I think, 14 years old, and now he's 21. First, I built him a, a mini ramp in our driveway, kind of get the fire burning in uh, in him, and then we pretty much grew up skateboarding out at Kamilawiki Skate Park, Hawaii Kai Skate Park, every day after school for many years.
0: <laughs> and he has a buddy on the team.
7: Yes, Jordan Barrett. She's a good friend of our, our family as well, um, and uh, they grew up skating and surfing together and learning tricks together and Jordan's been a part of our uh, program we run proper ride shop here in Honolulu to skateboard school and she was part of our program when uh, since the very beginning as well.
0: So it must be just a kick in the pants to see You know how well these kids are skating when they're not kids anymore right but just the, the fact that they can represent hawaii and team usa
7: yes uh i'm very proud of them as you know skateboarding is uh it's not easy trying to balance on a piece of wood with wheels it's considered also an extreme sport it can be very dangerous You have all the safety equipment and yeah you take a lot of falls before you can succeed and i couldn't be more proud of them you know representing hawaii and uh, being a part of you know skateboarding at the highest level the olympics and being a part of the usa national skateboarding team i definitely feel like skateboarding will bring out the the youth in in the olympics as well and just open up the sport to so many more people a wider audience and I think every, every kid that sees a skateboard kind of wants to try it. It's very inviting, but I think that it'll definitely bring out, you know, the youth audience with skateboarding in the Olympics along with surfing.
0: Matt Reynolds considers this the golden age of skateboarding. You know, we swung out to East Honolulu this weekend where Heimano's young fans were eager to talk about a Camilo Iki skate kid who's gone pro and made the big time. We start out first with Aiden Burgess and Kai Andia.
8: I do know about him, Anna. He is an absolute beauty, and we all know that. He's crazy at skating. He's a, no half sense with him; it's always full. He's yeah, he's nuts.
0: He wanted to be on the Olympic team since he was like ten years old. Wow! And so you know, you, you you see these kids out here tonight, right? I mean, it's crazy that he's now a professional skater.
8: It is crazy, yeah. I mean, to have someone that's from the islands representing is always good. So we're stoked to see it.
0: Yeah, he's in the lead right now, so we're going to keep our fingers crossed.
8: For him. Oh, yeah, all right. Well, we'll be, be watching. watching. <laughs> we'll be watching.
0: And so uh, have you ever seen Kamana skate here at this park?
8: Yeah, shout-out Kemana Reynolds. That dudes he's nuts. He's raw. He skates here. He used to skate here a lot more. He doesn't skate here as much anymore, but still raw. Shout-out Olympics. Shout-out Japan and Tokyo. And, yeah, I'm going to watch that. My name's Luke Ogitano. I've seen him on his skater all the time. Um, super good. One of the best people in the park for sure. I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Did you ever think that skateboarding would be like an Olympic sport?
8: Um, not really because like I didn't I didn't really think it was because surfing wasn't too and it was more just like bigger sports. But it's pretty sick to see that now skating's in the Olympics this year. Uh,
6: my name is Brandon Bond, B A U G H N, also known as Brother Brands.
0: And so how long have you been skating?
6: Uh, I've been skating for a couple months now, just trying to get the hang of it.
0: So what do you think about maybe having two people represent Hawaii as, as we try and get a, a team for USA in the Olympics?
6: Uh, I think it's super sick. I've seen him on a skate all the time. His style is sick. He goes hella fast and he does crazy tricks.
0: Nahimana Reynolds is just coming off championship wins in China, and also in Peru. Uh, it has been a long time dream to com- his dream to, uh, to compete in the Olympics. He spoke with the conversations Harrison Patino, about it.
8: I can't even put into words how like humbling and how freaking amazing it just feels to be able to do that.
6: Skateboarding is now a part of the 2020 Olympics slate. So, how has skateboarding changed since when you were a kid? You know, what's different now versus when you were 10 years old?
8: Oh my gosh. Skating has changed so much, just, like, from the competition to the skill level of all the skaters to companies and brands and the arts and everything has changed so much since I was 10 years old. And it's only progressing for the best. And having skateboarding being a part of the Olympics, I think, is going to be an amazing, like, kind of turning point for skateboarding as, like, a whole and as, like, a sport. And I think it's going to be really good just because, like, Skateboarding isn't, like, known to be, like, a real sport or known for, like, athletes and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of the general public will look at skateboarding as, like, oh, like, dirtbags and, like, drugheads and vandalizing schools and all this stuff. And, like, having skateboarding being a part of the Olympics and being recognized as, like, a real sport is going to be amazing. And I think it's definitely a good look on skateboarding.
6: I look towards a counterpart sport. I know a lot of the times surfing and skateboarding are kind of seen as coinciding with each other. But in the WSL, athletes from Hawaii are credited as representing Hawaii, not the rest of the United States. Do you feel it's important to distinguish yourself as Hawaiian representing in this U.S. contingent? Or do you see it as uh, one and the same?
8: I mean, I definitely feel like it's just like having a Hawaiian blood in me and stuff like that. You know, it's like it feels good to to be able to represent Hawaii as, like, its own thing. But then at the same time, I can't really, like, just choose, like, either, like, I have to represent Hawaii or the United States because it's, like, like the same, you know what I mean? But, like, I don't know, just being able to represent both Hawaii and the United States is definitely a huge honor.
6: So skating is actually a lot like surfing in that sense in that it started as a really counter-cultural, anti-mainstream movement. So with skating getting Olympic representation, what do you guys say to people who view skating more as a lifestyle and not as a sport?
8: I would tell the people who see skating as more of like like that way, as you said, is to like just see how like skaters at our level train and work out and see that it's not just, it's, uh, yes, it's for fun, and like we love to do it, but it's not just that, you know? We work out. We train six to eight hours a day. We work our butts off, you know what I mean? And it, to have skateboarding recognized in that sense is going to be amazing.
6: Do you think that this Olympic representation is going to popularize skateboarding even more?
8: Oh, absolutely. And like I was saying earlier, how like a lot of people see us as like dirtbags and like all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? It's like especially families and, like, like parents who kind of view skateboarding as, like, oh, I don't want my kids to do that sort of thing, is, like, if they see it recognized as a real sport in the Olympics, they're, gonna, they're not even going to think twice. They're going to be like, oh, it's a real sport. Like, of course I want my son to do this, or I want my daughter to be able to try this, you know?
6: So when you first hopped on a board as a kid, what were your ultimate aspirations? Did you just want to be the best you could, or did you want to ultimately bring skateboarding to a, a higher stage than it was when you were younger?
8: When I first stepped on a board, um, I don't know. Honestly, I remember just just feeling freedom and like this is what I this is what I love. This is what I want to do. And originally, I was just like, I love this. I want to be the best that I can be at this. And that's kind of just where my head has always been at.
6: So, who are some of your skateboarding heroes growing up?
8: Growing up, uh, especially coming from Hawaii, like some of my heroes were like Christian Arsoi, Kelly Saunders, Darren Ho. Um, course, Tony and all the Bones Brigade guys, and then definitely, like, Grant Taylor. He was a huge inspiration for me, just because he's street and park skater. He's amazing. There's so many of the, like, Christian Sloy's era, who, like, has really paved the way for me and, like, my generation, kids, too.
6: So what's the competition looking like this year? What are some of the uh, toughest competitors you're going to be going up against? Toughest competitors? Oh, man. Everybody
8: especially from the U.S. is killing it right now. Like Alex Argente, Tom Shar, Corey Juno, Jack Reeton, those are the people who are right below me and who could catch up really easily. So definitely got to keep an eye on those guys.
6: So obviously across the uh, United States, the entire sports world is kind of getting put into limbo with uh, concerns over the coronavirus and the spread. There's a lot of cancellations. Are you worried about the Olympics? Are you worried that uh, your representation is going to have to get postponed to a later date?
8: Um... Yeah, I mean, it's really scary to think about all that stuff going on in the world right now and how, like, what's going to happen next with the Olympics and if we're going to postpone it and all that. But really, I'm just trying to keep my hopes up and just hope for the best, you know? Like, of course, I want to stay safe and, like, see, like, whatever will happen. And then at the same time, I, like, really want to push for the Olympics to happen at the time that it's scheduled to happen, you know?
6: So what do you say to all the people who have been in your position and, you know, hope to be somewhere where you are one day?
8: Honestly, like, coming from, like, a little rock in the middle of the Pacific, like, I went to private schools my whole life, and all my teachers would always tell me, like, no, like, when are you going to find a real job? When are you going to look into something real? Like, where, how are you going to make your money? Like, skateboarding is only going to take you so far. But I stuck with it. I'm working hard at it. I'm training my ass off. I'm, I'm trying to go to the Olympics. And that's exactly what I would tell all the kids at home is, like, if you love this thing, stick with it. Honestly, it could take you really far. You just got to work hard. And if you treat skateboarding right, skateboarding will treat you right, you know. And I want to hopefully make it to the Olympics, get a medal, and go back to the teachers who told me I couldn't do it and show it to them. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a wayborn born skater. Hey, Mona Reynolds. Talking with the Conversations, Harrison Petrino. Reynolds is set to compete for the U.S. skating uh, skateboarding team. Uh, we'll have to see how uh, COVID-19 affects the 2020 Summer Olympics.
4: Support for HPR local reporting comes from the Hawaii Community Foundation's Change Framework, providing a common set of data to drive collaboration, action, and resolution of critical challenges across the islands. HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org slash change. America, are we ready for some primaries? I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. Join me and listeners from around the country tonight for a national call-in as Florida, Arizona, and Illinois hold their primaries even as Ohio postpones because of COVID-19. Call in with your thoughts on the campaigns and the state of our country. Listen and participate. America, are we ready?
5: Starting this afternoon at one.
0: That wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, we plan to talk about the University of Hawaii's plan to teach online during this COVID crisis. We'd like to hear from you. Do you have a story to tell about how you're affected? Call our Talk Back line. Call 808 792 8217. You can also email us at talkback at HawaiiPublicRadio.org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us at HI Conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.